This is a Rooster Teeth production. Modern tombstones designed to memorialize the dead have some grave origins. Join us as we chisel away at the history of post-mortem monuments. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami. In 2020, when COVID-19 forced a shutdown of global and local economies, no shortage of businesses were left unscathed, including Dominic Denigri monuments and mausoleums operating out of the Bronx, New York. The family-run business returned to work after the New York State Monument Builders Association appealed the verdict to stay home. Regardless, the damage had already been done. With COVID-related deaths climbing and the entire industry at a standstill, demand for Dominique Denigrius's services had risen exponentially and has since continued to rise. Now, the art of stone carving demands precision and is pretty tedious. When 3M, a company specializing in technologies widely used by the funerary industry, announced they would no longer be making the adhesive needed to attach to a stencil, the kind compatible with the standard sandblaster, it caused even more problems for Dominic Denigri. Still, they persevered and continued to operate despite the dark cloud looming. The experience of Dominique Denigri's monuments and mausoleums is one small example of the pandemic-induced struggles that continue to plague an entire industry. One that tackles a tough-to-navigate insensitive subject matter, helping people memorialize their deceased loved ones through monuments, markers, and effigies. Today, we are exploring the origins of the modern tombstone while chronicling the art through the ages, interpreting commonly used or significant symbols that you might see carved into headstones, and riffing on some unique or bizarre epitaphs or famous ones. And maybe we'll even design our own. Maybe. Is that too morbid, Jess? No, although it's something I have not thought about yet. Jess, we should design tombstones for each other. I was going to say the same thing. Like I wanted to design your tombstone (laughs) because you're going to die before me. (laughs) True, 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 true. So, and I'll have to get, I'll have to get started now then on yours. That's true. We could just also put it in our wills. Mm -hmm. This is what I want and I'm going to draw it. It's going to be like a five-year-old kid's drawing of like a tombstone (laughs) for you. But yeah, today we are talking about tombstones and they're all around us in cemeteries everywhere. But maybe you don't think about them all the time. No. I mean, I still do the thing. I know we talked about this in a previous episode, but sometimes if I'm feeling in the mood, I will hold my breath by going whenever I go by a cemetery. But sometimes I'm like, no, breathe it in. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever do the thing in school where you would do brass rubbings of like old tombstones or monuments? I did not do that as a child. No. What? Oh. Oh. Well, anyway. Back to gravestones. Now, you might be wondering where all of this practice first started. And albeit the crude use of markers to denote final resting places, it goes all the way back to the Stone Age, baby, around 3000 before Common Era. Humans lived in nomadic tribes and they were hunters and gatherers and that's how they survived. And technology was rudimentary and limited to nature. So what could be made by hand? And the threat to life was ever present 
People were living unprotected against the likes of saber-toothed tigers and Ice Age temperatures. Like us, primitive people also buried their dead. Researchers and archaeologists don't know exactly why, but can assume it was to cover the smell of decomposition. I also like am imagining like a dead body over there and like birds coming to eat it. Yeah. Or, like, you know, I'm just like, OK, stop. No, please. <laughs> they noticed like we might need to put a pin in this. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do something with this. These remains. Yes. And a certain amount of like mysticism was also at play. After burial, in order to keep the human spirit at bay, a monument of sorts would be placed atop the burial site, typically a large boulder or stone. And even after nomadic groups settled, the tradition of laying a stone at a burial site endured and evolved with time. And we need only point to phenomena such as Stonehenge, the European monument that is believed to be a Neolithic cemetery, to see how elaborate these markers eventually became. Obviously very different from what we see today, but the purpose and motivation remains relatively the same. And while we use terms like gravestones, tombstones, and headstones interchangeably now, these words used to mean very different things. Headstones used to be what we now call cornerstones or a grave that goes like at the corner of a building. Tombstones used to indicate the lid of a stone coffin and gravestones used to cover the entire grave as a large stone slab. Which as you break this all down, it all makes sense. Like a gravestone is a slab that covers a whole grave. Duh. Yes. <laughs> a, a tombstone covers just the tomb that a person is in. Of course. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It's so simple. It does make sense now because we just, yeah, you're right. We just like say these things like you like interchangeably. Yeah, and we've reductively boiled them down to all be the same thing. But yeah. it's it's so like specific when you get into the minutia. Mm-hmm. Though rewinding back to tombstone usage throughout history It's important to remember that not every culture or group has historically even buried their dead. Burials were most common in Roman and Celtic cultures, while Egyptians preferred mummifying their dead with their most prized possessions. Though some might say that the pyramids themselves are the most ambitious and extra tombstones ever made, if you think about it, Jess. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) That is. Man. Egyptians were That's, so extra. It's so I mean, epic. I don't want to use the slang of the young people, yeah. but <laughs> of the youth, but man, they were extra. Epic. Um, yeah, again, like early primitive man, there was a motivation behind this, and that was part spiritual, part forced by the elements. The climate in Egypt was very hot and arid, and the mummification process helped with decomposition so that diseases would not be transmitted to the living. Celtic society was one of the first to use monuments or stones to mark grave sites, and these objects were called cairns. Cairns. <laughs> We're all, we're going to butcher this the whole time. Uh, C-A-I-R-N. At its most basic, a cairn is a pile of stones stacked atop one another. So just kind of balancing stones in a little bit of a stack. I always think of the Blair Witch Project when I think of stones stacked. <laughs> I don't know why. Cairns, cairns can vary in size and require a substantial amount of patience to make. In some situations, they can serve as markers directing people in their travels, but were also used by early people and nomads to mark graves, or were even placed atop burial sites to prevent the spirit from returning to earth. Hmm. The thinking here being that if a stone was placed atop a grave, the spirit had this barrier that prevented them from returning to haunt their family or torment others. Jess, you're not going to find a big enough stone when I go. I was going to say, didn't they know ghosts can go through walls and stones? They didn't (laughs) know that then. (laughs) Uh, Oh, those simpletons. They don't know that ghosts can go through stone. Those Uh. simpletons. (laughs) 
Over time, these piles of stone evolved into monolith-like structures. However, in the place of individual grave placement, a singular marker would indicate a burial chamber. Families were often buried together near the family home with elaborate chambers intended to hold future generations. Graves as we know them today wouldn't become common in churchyards and cemeteries until about the mid-1600s. And some of the earliest ones included very basic inscriptions, such as just the name, birth, and death dates of the individual. And tombstones of this time were made of slate and sandstone because these were easier to carve with less sophisticated tools. However, they were much more susceptible to weathering. That being said, they can still stand for hundreds of years. I feel like we've seen some of that. Have you ever been to Sleepy Hollow? No. Yeah, it's fascinating. I I should go. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. But also, I mean, any old, you know, even like going to Europe and stuff, like Mm -hmm. you've been to England, like you go to their gravestones, you see them there. It's so fascinating. I mean, yeah, some are just completely blank, but not because they were blank, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. time. I love Mm -hmm. them. I just, I go and touch them because I'm like, I am touching something so old. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But today, most gravestones are made out of granite and or bronze. Granite tombstones will last virtually forever due to the durability of the stone. But in the U.S., you'd also see wooden markers that had pretty minimal information lettered on them or sometimes completely blank. Mm -hmm. Back then, tombstones were hand carved right up until the Civil War. Today, it's very rare to find with only an estimated 20 shops across the U.S. that specialize in hand-carved tombstones. Some of the technology to mass-produce stones came out of necessity due to the mass amount of casualties of the U.S. Civil War. Ugh, yeah. Gravestones now are most commonly made using a water jet for precision of shaping the stone, followed by a sandblaster tool that carves the inscription itself. That being said, the upwards of 70 hours that go into making a hand-carved stone make it unique and special. I personally wouldn't want mine done in like a factory, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I kind of just, it just feels weird, but I also don't don't know if I'm going to be buried in there, so who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Back to history, though. For a mo, it's around the Victorian era that tombstone business starts a booming. And you've heard us talk about this time period on previous episodes. And this is when the modern funerary business starts to take shape due to all the death. So much death. Tombstones become this huge aspect in this industry of death. And this is when we start to see a strong presence of epitaphs and symbols on gravestones as they make their way into the mainstream tombstone market. And Victorians were fixated on symbolism and depicting a person's life in their epitaph. Mm. To understand everything we're about to get into, first, let's break down the anatomy of a tombstone. Caveat here, not everything we're about to mention appears on all tombstones. We can't, you know, say this is a blanket statement or in the particular order we're about to list them. So just remember that every tombstone is unique. No, uh, Elise, I have gone to every tombstone and I've made sure that this is... No, I'm just kidding. I've done <laughs> oh, the research. Okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> I misspoke. Jess has... These, this is what you're going to find. <laughs> um, so first up, you've got your header. And this is your here lies or in memory of. And uh, my favorite tombstone I've ever seen is here in Los Angeles at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery. And it's Jack Lemon's epitaph. And all it says is Jack Lemon in... Like the implication being that he's in the ground and like, it's so great. It's so perfect. Like he doesn't need a here lies. It's just Jack lemon in. I thought maybe it'd be like Jack lemon in here, but I just love that it's Jack lemon in. 
Yeah. I love that that's your favorite tombstone. I think it is. Yeah. Then there might be an epithet. So some moniker or title like honored or minister or daughter of. And for you, Elise, maybe like little demon child of. No. Would that work for you? (laughs) It does, Jessica. (laughs) And you'll see why after you make that tombstone for me. Oh, great. The singer Aaliyah, who died tragically young in a 2001 plane crash, has the title baby girl on hers is really sweet and sad yeah then you might see the name of the deceased on the Mm -hmm. tombstone a pretty important part i guess yeah that's very important or the formula of wording like who departed this life or who died or even who fell victim to jesse james's epitaph goes the extra mile here he was a famous outlaw in the american west who was shot in the back of the head by robert ford while he was fixing a mishung painting james's tombstone only has his name Days of birth and death, and the words, murdered by a traitor and coward whose name is not worthy to appear here. Oh, snap. Damn. <laughs> yeah, he was not pulling any punches. Mm-mm. Stones can also list the deceased's death date or generally birth and death date. In rare cases, you might even see an age listed. And finally, Stone might have text that is a brief pseudo-eulogy, like a Bible verse, or lines like, may his soul enjoy the glory, or in God we trust. Now, John Wilkes Booth has none of these things that we've mentioned on his tombstone in Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore, Maryland. John Wilkes Booth, for any international listeners, is the man who killed Abraham Lincoln. His tombstone is completely blank, and if you go to visit it, you'll also see piles of pennies left on top of it. Wow. Yeah, even people dropping those Lincolns. Definitely dropping those Lincolns. Though I was, when I was looking into this, there is some speculation that that's his tomb because I guess he was buried with the family plot, but that he wasn't given a headstone. So some there's some discrepancy of people saying, well, that might be his sister's stone. But the the big consensus is it's his, and that's why people go and leave pennies on it. Yeah, okay. Yep. So yes, that's the main anatomy of a tombstone, but there's more. Symbols and iconography are also a big part of tombstone inscriptions. Not only are they visually striking, but most of the time they carry meaning. For example, a fallen branch or a broken sword all indicate life that was cut too short or somebody who died young. Clasped hands imagery was also very popular on Victorian grave markers, representing fraternity or re-meeting in the afterlife, shaking hands farewell. And it's not uncommon to see symbols pertaining to the presence and persistence of eternal life. So an upside down torch, a spade, wheat, dogwood, a snake, a circle, the sun, these all kind of symbolize life everlasting. Some symbols are cultural or religion specific. Egyptian culture is represented by a scarab with wings and a sun disc. A scarab is a type of beetle that was a symbol of the sun god. In Irish culture, the Celtic knot represents life everlasting. These scarabs, I mean, I've seen them from the mummy. That's how I know what they are. Mm-hmm. The, the first mm-hmm. mummy. <laughs> <laughs> All of our listeners are nodding, nodding along. Ah, yes. The mummy. Yep. Yes. Yep. The mummy's, I mean, it's a great movie. I love the mummy. Yes. <laughs> In Christianity, you will most commonly see a cross or an IHS symbol, which represents devotion to JC, the big man, mm-hmm. or perhaps a passion flower with 10 petals said to represent the 10 loyal disciples of Jesus. 
In Judaism, it's not uncommon to see a menorah on a wife or mother's headstone, indicative of how she lit the candles on the Sabbath. You might also see a pitcher typically found on Jewish men's headstones, indicating a Levite or someone who provided aid in the temple. In Islamic tradition, it's customary to put a grave marker as well, but no structures over the graves are permitted. You'll also often see the star and crescent symbol engraved there too. So that about covers all of the different religions that tend mm-hmm. to use tombstones. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that you won't really find on a tombstone generally is cause of death, not explicitly, with one exception being military personnel. You'll often find symbols that indicate someone served in an armed force, uh, whether it be rifles, a flag, or cross swords. And these can be indications, too, that someone was killed in battle. So their their cause of death. And maybe the words killed in action could also be written on the stone. Now, we're going to talk more about the different symbols on tombstones and what they might mean and represent. But first, a word from our sponsors. Elise, do you consistently have good hair days? I don't even know what those words mean, Jess. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Same, same. Using ingredients that benefit your hair is the key. Function of Beauty makes hair care products that are 100% customizable, made for your hair, where it's at now, and where you want to go. Which makes sense because we all have different types of hair. Oh God, yes. Mine, for instance, is thick, wavy, and it can also get very frizzy, which is the one thing I absolutely hate about my hair is the frizziness. So I need a shampoo and conditioner that I can trust without overloading my hair with like tons of products. I feel similarly, even though my hair is a little bit more fine, it does have a wave to it, but I tend to wear it straight. It's a whole thing. Function of Beauty is the world's first fully customizable hair care system that creates individually filled shampoos and conditioners and styling and treatment formulas based on your hair now and where you want it to go to. Founded by a dream team of engineers and cosmetic scientists, each Function of Beauty product is individually designed to be as unique as you are, and they offer over 54 trillion possible formulations. Whoa. Yeah, every one of them is vegan and cruelty-free, and they never use sulfates or parabens. You can also go completely silicone-free. First, you take the hair quiz to build your hair profile and select five hair goals, like to lengthen your hair, volumize it, or control oil. So, for example, if your hair gets frizzy in the winter and oily in the summer, function formulas are meant to be changed when your needs change. Next, you're going to choose your color and fragrance or go dye or fragrance free. Then get your freshly filled formula delivered straight to your door and prepare for good hair days ahead. So my uh, I've actually been using the shampoo and conditioner for a few weeks now. I put my hair profile was curly, medium, dry. The goals, I wanted to strengthen, replenish my hair, curl definition, anti-frizz, and rejuvenate. Mm -hmm. And I got the hair fragrance florette, which was actually very nice. And my partner says I smell good all the time. Aw. You do. I just smelled you recently. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) And you were great. You know what I've been using a lot that I love Hmm. is the hair. I got the hair oil. Yes. Actually, because I was like, I had been reading about hair oil and then Function of Beauty had it. And I was like, I want to try this so much. And so I put it on before I am going to dry my hair as a heat protectant. Mm -hmm. And then I use it after my hair is dry too, to kind of like smooth it out and make my ends look really healthy. And it's wonderful. I just saw you this weekend and your hair was on point. Stop. (laughs) Stop. You smelled like a field of flowers. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
And you too, like Jessica and I, can say goodbye to generic hair care for good today. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash 30mm, that's 30mm, to take your hair goals quiz and you'll save 25% on your first order. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash 30mm, 30mm, to let them know you heard about it from our show these two gals, and to get 25% off your first order, that's functionofbeauty.com slash 30mm. Take that hair quiz and save 25% on your first order. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Question for you, Elise. How well would you take care of your car if you had to keep the same one for your entire life? This, okay. Well, I would put it in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> because that is so difficult. And I try to take care of it as often as possible. I need my car, especially in LA. This is a car city. No, absolutely. Exactly. But that's also how our brains work. So why don't we treat them that way? How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. Thankfully, there are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. But there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. So if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, which that's personally better for me because I either look like trash or I'm crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. In your defense, <laughs> you're a beautiful crier. Thank- oh, thank you. So. Thank you. <laughs> but you shouldn't be crying. And uh, BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Who won't make you cry? Uh, well, I just need to get all the things out. Mm-hmm. I personally go to chest, therapy. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I personally go to therapy, and it has tremendously helped in every aspect of my life. And even if there isn't like anything super serious going on, the, even just the everyday things of just how I can change the way that I look at situations, conflict in my life, relationships, it has just helped me so much. Mm-hmm. Therapy can give you a new perspective and therapists can give you advice on how to manage different situations in your life, stress levels, you know, um, th- even things like just encouraging you to, to maybe eat better for your mm-hmm. mental health, which, you know, I I love burgers, Jess. You do. You do. Yes. But no one at BetterHelp will tell me to stop eating them, right? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, But good thing our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash 30mm. That's betterhelp.com slash 30mm. Now back to the show, we were talking about how symbols on gravestones represent the deceased, memorialize them even after they're gone. And different symbols can also indicate the profession of the deceased person. For example, corn on a farmer's grave. I mean, let's be real here. (laughs) If you put corn on my stone, I'd be like, okay, I think that represents me. Um, But I'm not a farmer, but go off. Um, An anvil on a blacksmith's grave. A harp or a piano on a musician's grave. Jimi Hendrix has a symbol of a guitar carved on his tombstone, which I hope is a stand-in for an upside-down right-handed Stratocaster. (laughs) Um, Something a little bit more unusual is grave markings that indicate different groups. Like a crescent moon, something you'd think might be common, is used to indicate a member of the Daughters of Rebecca, a female auxiliary group of the Independent Order of Odd Fellows established in 1851. You might also find a beehive or a square and compass on the grave of a Freemason. 
There's also some death-centered imagery that you won't necessarily see on a tombstone, but maybe just on general cemetery walls or gates. For example, a moth, a banshee, an owl are all just omens of death, which we talked about a little bit in the Victorian episode, our very first episode. I love the banshee. Yeah. (laughs) But on the flip side, cats and bats represent communication with the afterlife. Oh my God. The bat phone. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder. Yeah. (laughs) Child headstones typically have symbolism of a lamb or Agnes Day, a lamb of God. Child headstones are typically the same size as adult headstones. They might run a little bit smaller, but that's just, you know, a cultural, not really a sort of traditional or cultural thing. I think it's just that, that helps with the process probably of this is a child. There's, they're small, tombstone small. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And take this with a grain of salt thrown over your shoulder to ward off evil spirits, but the grave markers of women tend to be considerably larger than that of men, allegedly. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell. Or allegedly, as concluded by a group of researchers at the University of Seattle, they had a small sample study that noticed that male grave markers are usually in a horizontal slab shape and sometimes smaller, but ultimately it doesn't matter who you are because we're all going to die. And, you know, the size of headstones ultimately falls to the rules of the cemetery and what they allow. It's also important not to overlook the variety of tombstone shapes, which can denote meaning. Headstone shape, especially of older stones, can give us more information about the deceased than initially meets the eye. Yep. Ethnicity, religion, socioeconomic status, all these things. And it really wasn't until the Victorian era, the 19th century, that gravestones started becoming even more individualistic. And now today, there are all kinds of shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. This one, sometimes I step on and I, I try not to step on, but a stone might be simple, a flat bronze plaque installed on a granite stone base. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you're in a cemetery and it's just all these plaques in the ground and you're like, I don't want to get, you know. I know. I've I've definitely stepped on one by accident. Like, ah, shit. Mm -hmm. Or a stone might just look like an upright flat headstone or a combination. So you might see like a pedestal with a front plate, like the ones that are flush to the ground that's positioned on kind of an angle. Mm-hmm. A vertical stone with a curved top could be symbolic of a curved doorway leading to the afterlife. On Victorian tombstones, you might even see a carved urn, not because the deceased was cremated, but because the urn was a nod to Greek or Roman beliefs. Same deal with columns or broken columns, which symbolized a life cut short. Yeah, Victorians, they were obsessed with a lot of these like, classical cultures and stuff, so they started in incorporating that into their visuals. Uh, Same thing with like the obelisk tombstones, which you'd recognize them. They're those like tall, narrow monuments that kind of have a pyramid shape at the top. And those became popularized during this time too, because the Victorians were getting really obsessed with Egyptian culture. Like the Rosetta Stone was discovered in 1801 and They were having those mummy eating parties (laughs) that we've talked about. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, in in graveyards, obelisks represent ancient godliness and power. There are bench graves shaped like, you guessed it, a bench. Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash share a bench-shaped stone. Which is kind of sweet. Yeah, I know. I was about to say, it's actually really cute. It's like the imagery of like sitting on a bench together. 
Yeah. But winding back to symbols on tombstones, if you're wondering if certain organizations use secret symbols with hidden meanings on the grave markers of their members, well, so are we. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I like, it's like, I wish we could be like, we're the podcast that exposes all these secrets. Yeah. Like they're secrets for a reason. So we can't tell you. But that being said, sometimes there are underground organizations that you think would fit in this column of like, we have these secret symbols and stuff, but then you've got Russian gangsters who are in reality, anything but discreet. I looked these up and they're fascinating. It turns mm-hmm. out Russian mobsters are a proud people, even in death. Google Russian gangster graves and you'll find examples of monuments that include nearly life-size drawings and statues of the deceased, intricately drawn, almost like sketches with artistic renderings of the deceased holding cigarettes and clad in leather jackets. Some of them are standing next to like a statue of their car, but you should look these up. I've never seen anything like it. It's quite impressive. Yeah. All I can picture is like, this is the grave of Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. He, wanted. he said, make, yes. make sure you get my jacket just right. <sighs> yeah. And you can file these under headstones that you'll see and never forget, which isn't to say that there aren't more. And I also appreciate those who tend to inject humor and like panache into their final resting situation um, because it kind of leaves the living with not just like the reminder of death or mourning, but it's like. Oh, yeah, there's there was a life to this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is personally my favorite. Apologies if I butcher the name, but mathematician Ludolf van Kulen was the first person to discover the value of pi mm-hmm. to 35 decimal places. Naturally, his grave reads pi up to 35 decimal places. <laughs> that is a really good one. <laughs> Iconic voice actor Mel Blanc, you know, Bugs Bunny, mm-hmm. his headstone reads, that's all, folks a touching tribute to one of his most famous lines. Magician Harry Houdini has a large semicircular monument at a cemetery in Queens, New York. It's pretty impressive and was also engraved by members of the Society of American Magicians at the time he was put to rest. It's also adorned with a bust of Houdini himself. Yeah, it's it's pretty big. Mm-hmm. The wild and weird doesn't just end at epitaphs for people, though. <laughs> Someone in Korea... <laughs> On a goof, recently erected a mock tombstone to commemorate the June 5th, 2022 sunsetting of the web browser Internet Explorer. So it has the date, the Internet Explorer logo, and then like a little tongue in cheek, one sentence obituary that says he was a good tool to download other browsers. <laughs> I mean, that's just so yeah. great. So great. Uh, I love it. Quite sad. It's sad and great. And it's sorry, I laughed at it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sorry, Internet Explorer. But in other weird tombstone news, I also came across this house in Virginia that was built entirely from 2,200 marble tombstones of Union soldiers from the American Civil War. What? It's wild. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just like stacks and stacks of tombstones shaped like a house. Because during the Great Depression, the cemetery couldn't afford upkeep. So what they did was they cut the stones in half and then laid half of them on the graves and then sold off the other half for cash. Got it. Wow. But this house is so funny looking. (laughs) (laughs) That story is not unlike the one uh, about the forefathers burial grounds in Clemsford, Massachusetts, where most of the original 17th century graves that were eroded were taken and used to build part of the surrounding walls of the cemetery. If those walls could talk, Jessica. Right? <laughs> well, we would learn. Yeah. The spirits. 
Okay, so we've learned a lot from this episode, namely that unless they're later sold for scrap, there's a good deal of time and forethought put into designing and carving memorable and meaningful tombstones and monuments. So how do we preserve these to stand the test of time, Jess? It's all about upkeep, being gentle, rinsing with water, using a detergent mix that plays nice with the type of stone, and then gently scrubbing away dirt and debris, followed by one final good rinse. Which I guess you got to clean them, but it's so weird to think about. Um, It is. Yeah. There's some pros and experts that tackle tougher projects like gravestones that date as far back as the 19th century, which can be a little bit more fragile. And like most things nowadays, you can learn about it on TikTok. At Manic Pixie Mom documents the graves as she cleans and shares stories from public records about the deceased these stones belong to. Super fascinating. Yeah. TikTok truly knows no bounds. No bounds. And uh, like TikTok, technology in general helps us preserve not just artifacts, but information, stories, and records in a way like never before. And shockingly, maybe not so shockingly, it's shaping the future of how tombstones and effigies might look. There's this emerging, albeit very small trend of adding QR codes to tombstones. Yeah. If you don't know what a QR code is, it's one of those usually square shaped black and white pixel patterns that you can scan with your cell phone camera. Mm -hmm. And QR codes on tombstones, real thing. The idea being that you can link to information like the deceased's obituary or photos and videos of them. Maybe they were a musician and you want to share links to songs performed and written by the deceased or like, you know, if they were a writer, here's a list of all the work they wrote, you know? Yeah, this is wild. Maybe maybe silly, maybe tacky, but standards evolve. So maybe it's limiting to think this way. But I also would love to, and this is really sick, I would love to go to... Uh, a cemetery with you and kind of like scan all yeah. these QR codes together. <laughs> just kind I, of like, <laughs> I do think it's like kind of fascinating. Me too. It's, it's weird because like the idea of having your phone out and like scanning someone's grave seems a little like tasteless. But if somebody's like, oh, you want to know more about my life and keep my memory alive? Because once a few generations pass on, people tend to just kind of like they lose that real life mm-hmm. um, memory of them. And we as humans, I feel like we're definitely in a weird way, obsessed with like our legacies yeah, and living on and because we are not immortal. And unlike previous generations, like we're kind of the first society that has these digital footprints online Mm -hmm. that will leave us all like lasting legacies, which is a whole other episode of 30 Morbid Minutes (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we got to get into. I think the only question is whether the QR code as a form of technology will become obsolete. And, you know, so having it wouldn't matter yeah, no, I, it's so, it's so interesting to me yet, like we were saying, like silly and tacky. I don't know how to feel about it yet, but it is pretty interesting. What would your QR code link to, Jess? I'm thinking about it. Um, Probably our baby Elise, baby Jessica <laughs> uh, photos fan art. <laughs> probably. Well, it would, it would definitely link to 30 more minutes. Oh, for sure. So yeah. people could like curl up at our graves with some headphones on, listen to a couple apps. Yep. What would yours lead to? Probably Rick Roll. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just Rick Roll people from from the, the great beyond. Yeah. 
But are there any notable tombstones you've come across online in books or seen in person? We would love to hear about them, see them, share them with us on Twitter or IG. You know where to find us at 30 Morbid Minutes, at Jessica Vasami, at Elise Willems. And follow us on TikTok, too. I've been, like, getting into some videos. Mm-hmm. So who knows what I'll post next. <laughs> oh, no. She's off. <laughs> She's going on. And please share the show with your sicko friends. We know you, our listeners, are big sickos. Appreciate you all. But, I mean, I can only imagine you hang out with some pretty sort of yeah, company. I, I thought you were going to say, and please share the show with your spouse. Like, I don't know. <laughs> You said spouse specifically, but like, well, yeah, your spouse presumably also is sicko. So please, please let everyone in your circle know too and leave us reviews because all of that good stuff helps us keep making the show. 100%. And what are we talking about next week, Elise? This is a topic that I think people have been waiting for, which is being buried alive prematurely, <sighs> accidentally. You accidentally. Think no- <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, it happened more than you think. Yeah. It still does. I got chills. But yeah, buried buried alive. So watch the 2011 (laughs) Ryan Reynolds class. I don't know what year it came out. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds classic buried. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, yeah, that's that should be an interesting and and goofy and morbid and silly one. Mm -hmm. And as always, we have some fun merch at the RT store, uh, the Rooster Teeth store. Um, We have three shirts and stickers as well. So go check them out. We'd let and keep sending us your photos. We would love to see them. Well, Jessica, um, I better start digging for next week. Yeah, for you, right? You're gonna dig for yourself. I just maybe I just I dig and then I get tired and I lay down in there and I take a little nap. And then sure I nothing, dig. Nothing bad. And then I no no nothing. Especially if I'm there, like I'll just put some dirt on you to make sure that you are oh, protected. I'm cold. Because you're cold. cold. I want to make sure you're protected that no animals catch you. I'll just keep throwing some dirt on you. It'll be fine. You're trying to trick me. No, I would never. I would never do that help, to you, Elise. Help. Don't, don't listen to her help cries. Help. She's there. Help. They're fake. 